Then open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to read there together, but let me begin by reading some things to you out of the book of Acts. You're looking for Colossians chapter 1. Let me read some things to you. This is, I'm going to read several scriptures to you that you're going to see the assignment on the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. Listen to the things he said here. Acts chapter 9, it says, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Acts chapter 10, it says, He ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all the living and the dead. Acts chapter 18, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Again in Acts chapter 18, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that, say it with me, Jesus is the Christ. And then in Romans chapter 10, he says, if you confess with your mouth that, say it, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Listen to this in 1 John chapter 5. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Take a stab at what this message is called today. <laughs> Jesus is. Friends, you and I are going to talk about Jesus this morning. Is there anything better to talk about? <laughs> Somebody's saying, now you get to speak at minister's conference and you're going to stand up and say, we're going to talk about Jesus. If you can think of something better to talk about than Jesus, we'll talk about something better. But has anyone ever done more for you than Jesus has done for you? Has anyone ever said or done or accomplished more for you in your life or in your ministry than Jesus has said or done or accomplished? I think we should spend some time talking about him this morning. I spent a long time growing up in this church. One of the first places I ever served was in children's church and then in the youth group. And it doesn't seem to matter what you tell kids on a Sunday morning. The, the parents pick them up. What'd you talk about today? What's the answer? Jesus. <laughs> you could have talked about anything. Genesis to Revelation. What's the answer? Jesus. What'd you learn about? Jesus. What'd you color today? Jesus. What'd you have for snacks today? And just, it doesn't matter what the question is, their answer when they leave church is always Jesus. Well, your answer today when you leave church, what do we talk about? Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about who Jesus is. You're in Colossians chapter 1. What we're going to do is pick up mid-sentence here in verse 12. Again, the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Now watch this. In whom? Who? Jesus. In whom we have redemption through His blood. Whose blood? The forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. Who? is the image of the invisible God. 
Jesus is. The New, Living the New Living Translation says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. The Amplified says that he is the exact likeness of the unseen God. That's who Jesus is. For by him all things were created. By who all things were created? Jesus. Jesus. Now listen, to this. I love this when the Spirit of God just gets carried away. He just gets carried away here with the description and the characterization of who Jesus is. He says, by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Listen to this, visible and invisible. Those are the two arenas of which Jesus is Lord over. Now, if, if something exists outside of those, Jesus isn't Lord over it. But as long as it's either visible or invisible, Jesus is Lord over that. So if there's something that exists outside that, no, we don't have any groundwork to claim Jesus as Lord. But as long as it exists in either the visible world or the invisible world, who is Lord over that? Who is the creator of that? Jesus is, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him, through who? And for him, for who? He is before all things. Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. That word preeminence means this simply, first place. Head of the line, first place. If you are in the front of the line, who is in front of you? No. <laughs> Not the answer. <laughs> if you are in the front of the line, who's in front of you? Nobody. That's the answer. Second graders know the answer to this question. I know that because the most intimidating preaching I have ever done, this isn't it. The most intimidating preaching I've ever done was to Sarah's second grade class. She called me and said, hey, come preach in my Bible class. And it was a room full of eight second graders. And I stood there preaching about Jonah, Jonah and the whale. And this one kid in the back kept raising his hand, and I was trying to ignore him. But finally, I said, yes, what is it? This is what she was living and working in Branson. And uh, I'd been preaching about Jonah, and he raised his hand and finally said, yes, what is it? He said, um, that's not exactly right. <laughs> And his, I guess his doctrine on Jonah had been built by VeggieTales. Are you familiar with VeggieTales? That's not exactly right. But see, I know they know the answer to that question because as soon as class was dismissed that day and it's everybody line up at the, at the door, there is a fight every time for who gets to be first place in line. Have you seen that? These little guys just fight their way and claw their way to the front. Why? So they can be first place. Nobody in front of them. So when I ask you, if you're first place in line, who's in front of you? The answer is nobody. If you're first place in line, who's behind you? Everybody. Now that's the place Jesus holds. That's his God-given, God-appointed place. And listen, there is no fight for his place in line. The fight has been fought, 
The fight has been won. Jesus is first place. Nobody in front of him. Everybody else behind him. That's, that's the character, characterization the Spirit of God is leading the Apostle Paul to right here. Excuse me, right here in Colossians chapter 1. Now skip down to verse 24, and we're going to begin to get into some of the things we're talking about today. In verse 24, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now listen, don't skip this scripture. Don't skip this verse because it says sufferings in it. Okay? Don't do that. I know you're faith preachers, but don't do it. It's in here too. You got to read it. But let me encourage you with something here. This word sufferings has nothing to do with the suffering that Jesus did for you on the cross. Nothing to do with that. I'll give you two reasons why that word suffering has nothing to do with that. Number one, the, the work of the cross is a finished work. The work of the cross is a completed work. It's done. Nothing left to be done on it. Jesus left nothing undone at the cross. And the other reason we know this is this word sufferings is a Greek word that is never used in connection with the suffering that Jesus took for you on the cross. Never used in connection with that. So what is the suffering he's talking about? This will make more sense to you while we're talking about this in, in just a moment, but let me make some things clear because this is all a part of this picture we're painting here. What suffering is he talking about? He's talking about persecution. There is a persecution that is still to be quote-unquote suffered. Jesus said it. He said two things. He said, number one, persecution arises, why? For the word's sake. And as long as you preach the word, persecution. And he also said this in John chapter 15. He said, if the world hates you, just know that they hated me first. And then he said something very interesting. He said, if the world loves you, it's because they love their own. But you're not of the world. I chose you out of the world. And if they hate you, it's because they hated me. Or I'll paraphrase, paraphrase it like this. If the world hates you, it's because you look like him. If they love you, it's because you look like them. Come on. Amen. And I've, I'm a watcher. I, I think I got that from my dad. He, this, this man is so attentive and so keenly aware to just the atmosphere and the environment of things. And I've grown up just watching I've grown up watching ministers and ministries and my eyes and my ears are always open to things. And there's something that's, that seems to be going on right now in the body of Christ in particular areas. And it's this, it's this question that they're, that they're bringing up and having whole conferences around. And it's, why does the world hate us? What are we doing that makes them hate us? And what can we do to change that? And I, and I understand the, the concept of it. And we, we want to be a place where where people are, are welcome to join and welcome to come in, but you've got to be so watchful over that. Because there is a temptation when you start thinking along those lines, there's a temptation, and that temptation is to compromise what you know to be true. Isn't there? Have you experienced it? I've experienced it. 
I've experienced that temptation when I sit and I listen to the stuff like that and I hear that. And again, I'm not judging anybody's heart or anybody's motivation. I've got to look in here and find out why I'm thinking what I'm thinking. Find out why I'm saying what I'm saying, why I'm doing what I'm doing. And if the, the desire to do that is to escape persecution, you need to be watchful. If there is no persecution whatsoever in your life, you need to check and see who you look like. Because Jesus said, if you look like me, they'll persecute you. If you look like them, they won't. That's the suffering the Apostle Paul is talking to us about. Now notice this. If persecution wasn't something included in the work of the cross, then it's still left to be done. It's still left to be lived through. And it's the, it's the uh, like we said, it's the persecution that arises for the word's sake. But Paul says something very interesting here. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings or this persecution for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of the body, the church. Did you know that this is something we can take for each other? You and I can take this for each other. I'll prove it to you. This man and this woman, this, this couple, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland, they have suffered persecution in their life and ministry that I never will have to. And you better believe how fully cognizant and aware I am of that fact. Same thing with Brother Jesse, same thing with you, Dennis, and your family, your ministry, all of you that have gone before us, Pastor Caldwell. I mean, the, the things that you guys have been through and that you've seen and that the persecution has come on you for, there are things that you took the brunt of that I won't have to. You can see it. You can see it so clear. It used to be that they hated you if you were a preacher flying an airplane, any airplane, any airplane they hated you for that. Then it became, they hated you if you were a preacher flying a jet. Now, what I'm hearing on television and around, it's preachers spending $20 million on jets. Now it's just a $20 million jet. <laughs> the good news is, if you want to fly an airplane, once you buy a million dollar airplane, maybe a couple million dollars, you're going to skate right through. <laughs> because somebody else is out there in front of you taking that heat for you. And at the same time, let me, let me speak to, to my generation. Let me speak to, to my contemporaries. At the same time, you and I are called to push, to dig. Why? For the people coming behind us. There will be things that you and I look eye to eye, face to face, and go through. Why? One reason, so they won't have to. Whoever they is coming behind us, so they won't have to. That excites me. How is it Paul can say, I rejoice in my sufferings for you? Same way I can say it. Same way these can say it. It excites me to know that whatever it is I'm dealing with or going through now, somebody coming behind me, they won't have to. And they can focus on the things the Lord has called them to do. Amen? Okay, let's go on in this, and, uh, and I'll, I'll show you why we're talking about these things. Where are we? Verse, read verse 24 again, and we'll read down uh, through verse 27. He says this, 
I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Notice this, verse 27. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I know many of you are pastors. Many of you are working one-on-one -on -one with people or in small groups, and you... You are looking in the eyes of the people and you hear the questions and you see and you witness what they're going through. And I know you've heard some of the same things I have. And it's that question that it's always at the end of the day. What is the will of God for my life? How do I know the will of God for my life? Is it possible to know the will of God for my life? Well, of course, we know the answer is yes, but I think it would do us good to begin with the word where the word says this is the will of God for you. Start there. I don't know they're looking for you to spell it out for them, but you got to begin with what the word spells out. And he says this, he, he says, to them God willed. This is the will of God for you. What is the will of God for you? That, that you would know the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Begin with what the word says is the will of God. That is the beginning of the will of God in the life of any and every believer, that you know what it is to have Christ in you and you be in him. That's the will of God for you. That's it. That's the express purpose and plan and will of God for our lives, that we know who we are in him and we know who he is in us. Begin with what the word says is the will of God. Now, here, we're getting ready to get into it. Do me a favor. Take your fingers, put them right here in this, in Colossians chapter 1, and close your Bible. We're going to read verse 28. But I want you to be ready for what you're about to read. I, I, I've been, I've witnessed this for years coming to this conference, how one minister beginning with, with Pastor Caldwell, just goes one to the other to the other, and it's this beautiful orchestration of what the Spirit of God has done in their independent time before the Lord and how it comes out as one message. And I'm sitting over there going, stop reading that scripture, that's mine. And I'm thinking, this is, this is the message, and I'm honored to be a part of it, but I want you to see this. What we're about to read in this verse, the next three words of this verse, I found my assignment. Pastor was talking to us about our assignment, knowing our assignment. I have found my assignment. And what we're about to read in this next verse, and I say this very humbly, but I say it boldly, is your assignment too. What you're about to read is the subject, the content, points one, two, three, four, five, and six of every message you'll ever preach again. What you're about to read in Colossians 1.28. Let's look at this together. What does he say? Him we preach. Who him? Jesus. Jesus whom we 
preach. You are looking at a man who has found and heard his assignment from Almighty God. Jeremy, preach Jesus. And if they ever try to label you with doctrine, let it be that. If they ever try to label you with any division of this or that or the other, no, let, let all of that fall away and let your label be preacher of Jesus. That is who you preach. That's my assignment. Now you look back at what Paul just said about sufferings. Now you can see why he rejoices in it. I know my assignment. Everything we read through the book of Acts on into Romans, whom we preach. He went about telling everyone, confronting and confounding, saying, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The man's found his assignment. There's nothing more inspiring to me than sit and listen and watch a man or a woman who knows their assignment. Could you hear it in Pastor Caldwell this morning? His assignment, that college, that television station, that newspaper, it's in him. It's in him. The man knows his assignment. A couple of years ago, we had a conference here in the church, a three-day conference with Charles Caps. I'll give you two guesses what the man talked about. <laughs> number one, the words of your mouth. And number two, in-time events. I sat there thinking, that man knows his assignment. <laughs> he may have preached something else sometime in his life and ministry. I just hadn't heard it. <laughs> I don't know if you have either. The man knows his assignment. He knows his assignment. A couple of years ago, Papa and I were in an airplane together, and he was flying left seat, and I was in the right. Excuse me. And I asked him, kind of a quiet flight, coming home from Tulsa, and I'd had this question just kind of rolling around in me for a while. Like I told you a moment ago, I'm a, I'm a watcher. I just, I see things, not only in this ministry, in this culture, but, it, but everyone, just looking around the body of Christ to know what the Lord is doing and, and seeing it happen in this area, in this area, in this group of people. And, and like I said, you've got to be watchful of that. What I noticed beginning to happen in me was I was seeing what seemed to be a major move of God in this area and a church with tens of thousands and 15,000 and 20,000. And I got to looking at that and looking at that and looking at that. And, and if you look too long at that or at the person, at the methods, at the procedure, the way they do it, and you get your eyes off of who? Jesus. Then there'll be a temptation to say, maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe that's how I need to look. Now, I know you've never felt that way, <laughs> but I was feeling that way. And so Papa and I were flying, and I, it had been kind of quiet, and I just had this question rolling around in me, and, I, and I, I asked him, I said, Papa, were you ever tempted, as you looked around at other men in ministry, were you ever tempted to be like that when you saw results or you, you saw what the crowds or anything like that, were you tempted to be like that? Now, his answer to me was so profound I want you to write this down because this will help you in your ministry. It'll help you in your walk with the Lord. Again, the question, have you ever been tempted? Have you ever, have you ever felt that pull away from something to someone else and, and you're looking at what they're doing and are you, you ever been tempted to, to do that or copy that? Now listen to his answer. No. <laughs> Did you write that down? 
Write that down. No. N, followed by an O, then a period. And a long silence. <laughs> no. That was the answer. No. And I sat there thinking, I'm an idiot. <laughs> what is and it was, it was a long, it was a, there was a, a long pause. It felt a little like eternity. And, uh, and then he came back and he said this. He said, Jeremy, the Lord told me early on that I could learn from other men. But when it came to being like somebody, be like me, is what he said. The Lord said that to him, be like Jesus. That's the assignment, isn't it? The assignment is to preach him. The assignment is to be like Jesus. I want to take just a few moments here, and I want to go quickly through the Word of God, and I've got some place that I want to end with this, so stay, stay really tied in here with me. But I want to look at who Jesus is in the Word. Now, when I'm telling you preach Jesus, and that's your assignment, if that sounds limiting or limited to you, May I suggest you don't know him well enough? If that sounds like, well, that sounds like a good six-week series, Jeremy, but where do we go from there? And I remember one of the first times I preached this, I said, okay, Lord, I'll preach Jesus. What about Jesus? And he said, just Jesus. Just preach Jesus. This should not be limiting or, or put some sort of limit or cap on what it is we can say, because I'm not telling you what to preach. I'm telling you who to preach. And if the Spirit of God is sincerely leading you in this word anywhere from cover to cover, you will be able to point to Jesus. You will be able to. Several weeks ago, Sarah and I uh, went away just for a few days to kind of fast and pray at the beginning of the year. And, and we, got, we shut ourselves away and we woke up that morning and probably spent, I don't know, six, seven, eight hours just in the Word, just reading and writing and praying and walking and meditating, and, and it's just a quiet day in the presence of God. But when you're not eating and you're not watching TV, six o'clock in the evening comes around and you've already spent six or eight hours in the Word that day, you're thinking, what do we do now? And so Sarah said, you want to read the book of Hebrews to each other? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we sat down. And she read a chapter out loud, then I read a chapter out loud, and she read a chapter out loud. And lo and behold, guess who the book of Hebrews points to? Oh, yeah. Jesus. Jesus. And it's just, oh, it's, it's, there are some things in the book of Hebrews that talk about him, specifically what God said about him, what the Father said, who he was. When God turned to him and said, your throne, O God, is forever. Yours is a scepter of righteousness. There's some powerful things in there. You will be as a son to me and I'll be a father to you. Pointing to Jesus. So we read Hebrews. Woo! That's our evening entertainment. So now at 7 o'clock, what do we do? I said, we're, we're going to play a game. These are the kind of games you play when you're fasting and not watching TV. We're going to play a game. I'm going to randomly open somewhere in the Old Testament and we're going to read a page and see if we can find Jesus on that page. So I just, I just take the Bible and flop it open. And it, it opens to 1 Chronicles 17. 
And we start reading about David, how David went to the prophet Nathan and said, I'm going to build the temple for the Lord. It's not right that I have this house of cedar and the Lord has nothing. I'm going to build that. The prophet said, do, the, do what's in your heart. But then he went away and the Lord began talking to him and said, he's not the one that's going to do this. There's one coming. There's one coming from his seed, from his lineage. There's one coming. There's one coming. And I thought, there's Jesus. We found him. <laughs> we won the game. We, we found him. We didn't play again. I wanted to go out on a high note. I, I felt like that was, that was awesome. And I got to thinking about it. I was like, wow, what an amazing thing. Because Hebrews quotes what God said to the prophet to tell David. I'll be a father to him. He'll be a son to me. I'm thinking, wow, what an amazing thing here. And the Lord witnessed this to us. He said, I confirm my word with a sign. I'm not telling you to go build your doctrine on just flopping the Bible open and reading something. But I'm telling you, the Lord will confirm his word with a sign. That was a sign to me. That the Spirit of God, if he's truly and genuinely leading you, it doesn't matter where in this book you turn, you can always point back to Jesus. Why? Number one, Jesus is the Word. He is the Word made flesh. Turn to John chapter 1. Somebody say, Jesus is... In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, verse 1, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Does that sound like Colossians chapter 1? All things are to Him, and through Him, and for Him. In Him all things consist. The Amplified says that all things cohere and are held together in Him. In who? Jesus Skip down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is what? The Word made flesh. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. Just a little bit of research, and you can find over 300 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in one man's life. Whose life? Jesus. Jesus. In his life and in his ministry, Jesus is the Word made flesh, and he is the fulfillment of prophecy. What does that mean? It means for thousands of years, men were standing up going, He's coming! He's coming! There's one coming. There's one coming. He's on his way. The government will be upon his shoulders. He'll be the king of kings. He'll be the Lord of lords. The Messiah is coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And not the least of which was the prophet Isaiah that stood and said, Surely he has borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Over 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah's going, he's coming, he's coming. There's one coming. The healer's on his way. The deliverer's on his way. Your peace will be upon him. Your healing is in him. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And then one day, he came. 
and all of human history, all of mankind, as far back that way as you can go and as far this way as you can go is hanging on that moment in time. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. He came. Jesus came. Fulfilled prophecy, born of a virgin. He became the Word. The Word was made flesh. And He fulfilled the prophecy of the prophet Isaiah and He became your healer. That's who Jesus is. He's the Word made flesh. He's the fulfillment of prophecy and He is your healer. That's who Jesus is. You're saying, well, Jeremy, I, I preach healing all the time. That's my assignment. Preach healing. Okay, preach healing, but what's higher? Preach the healer. Preach the healer. Preach the healer. The Word made flesh. The fulfillment of prophecy. And your healer. What else does, what else does the Bible tell us about who Jesus is? In, in Matthew chapter 9, it says, Jesus went about teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all the sick. Jesus was and is a preaching Teaching, healing Jesus. That's who he is. Jesus is a preacher, a teacher, and a healer. A teacher, preacher, healer, healer, teacher, preacher, teacher, healer, preacher, preacher, teacher, healer. That's who he is. That's what he does. Now think about this. Think about these, these, just these three descriptions of who he is. If Jesus is your teacher, do you walk away confused? No. There were some that did. But it was because there was no open heart to receive what he had. If Jesus is your teacher and the Holy Spirit is your guide, do you walk away going, I don't get that. I have no idea. Who is that? What is he talking about? No. When Jesus is your teacher, you get it. You get it. I had some good teachers, but I had some bad ones too. And it's always convenient for a young kid to come home. It's the teacher. I don't know why I failed the test. I, I, it's, it was the teacher. She didn't tell us. She didn't explain. Jeremy, did you study? No. <laughs> and it's not always the teacher's fault. But when this teacher teaches, you get it. When this preacher preaches, are you bored? When this preacher preaches a message, are you looking at your watch going, when are we out of here? When this is your preacher, do you pick and choose which Sunday you go to church? No. When this is your preacher, when this preacher preaches, it stirs in you. Why? Because it's truth. Nothing less than truth itself is coming alive inside of you. And you're stirred up to grab a hold of it and run with it. Why? Because he's your preacher, your teacher, and your healer. I'm fascinated by men and women in the Bible that came to Jesus with a need and left with what they came for. Jairus in the book of Mark, chapter 5, falls at the feet of Jesus. And he said, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her and she will live. Verse 24 of chapter 5 is one of my favorite in all of Scripture. It says, so Jesus went with him. I love that. God, let that be my testimony. So Jesus went with him. Let it be yours. I love it. There's no recorded words of Jesus saying anything to the man. Faith was present. It caused him to respond to it. And on his way, the woman with the issue of blood stopped him. He turned around and said, who touched me? Found that it was her. 
She fell in the dirt just like Jairus did. Humility is a big part of faith, folks. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. He went on and went to Jairus' house and that little girl got up from the dead. These people got what they came for. Why? Because they believed in Jesus. Do you think that she left her house that, go, that day going, 1 Peter 2, 24, by his stripes, I am healed. Galatians 3, 13, I'm redeemed from the curse. No, there is no Galatians 3, 13. There, who's 1 Peter? Is there another one? Who are, where are all these Peters? Why, why so many? What, what did she say? If I may touch but the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. Her faith was in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. You've seen this and I've seen it too. People who get frustrated because their faith for something isn't producing. When really it's not faith for, it's faith in. You cannot have faith for healing without faith in the healer. You can't. It will not produce. Point your people to Jesus. Amen. Amen. This woman and so many others left with what they came for because of nothing less than faith in him. That man who brought his son to the feet of Jesus, his son was attacked right then and there by, the, by a spirit. And this man cried out to Jesus and he said, if you can have mercy on us and heal him. And Jesus said, if I can, if you can, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Jesus is saying, listen, this is not about my ability. This is about you believing. And what did the man say? Lord, I believe. And if there's anything in me that doesn't believe, help me get rid of it. I'm a believer. And it produced for him, didn't it? Faith in the healer. Faith in the healer. Let's go on. Jesus is the word made flesh. He's the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus is your healer. He's your teacher and your preacher. Jesus is your gift from God. Romans chapter 8, you don't have to turn there, but it says this in verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Jesus is your gift from God. That's who he is. Jesus is also the measure of your wealth. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus is the measure of your wealth. Jesus is. Not the paycheck, not what you get every couple of weeks. Not your inheritance. All of those things, wonderful. They're all, just, they're all just channels from the same source. But Jesus is the measure of your wealth. 
Jesus is. And if you're saying, well, Jeremy, I know my assignment. My assignment is to preach prosperity. Preach the one who prospers. Preach the one who does it. Why? You can't have faith for that without faith in him. Amen? Amen? Jesus is the measure of your wealth. Jesus is the measure of your strength. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, this is the Amplified, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. You need to be watchful over this. Our people need to be watchful over this, making the confessions. I can do all things. I can do all things. I can do all things. I can do all. Well, you think that's a good confession. You left out the most important part of that confession. Because truth is, you can't. We'll read this in a second. But Jesus said in in John, uh, or John chapter 5, I believe it was. John 15, verse 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. Watch out over your confession. Watch out over the people that fill the pews and fill the seats and the ones you're connecting to. Make sure in their own heart and mind they're connecting that confession to Jesus. I can do all things is not a good confession. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is a confession. That is a confession. I'm an overcomer. I'm an overcomer. Well, no. (laughs) You are through him who loves you. Amen. That's a good confession. I am the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God. Well, almost. (laughs) You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You see what we're doing? We're putting our attention, we're taking the attention off ourselves and putting it where it belongs. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus is your preacher, teacher, healer. He's your gift from God. He's the measure of your wealth, your strength, and your ability. And I want to end with this one today. Jesus is the measure of your worth. Let's go to a scripture that Pastor read to us a few moments ago. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Look at verse 44. Jesus is speaking. And he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid... And for joy over it, goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Look at verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus says this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. He also said this in Luke chapter 15. Don't turn there. Let me read this to you in verse 8. He says, Or what woman having ten silver coins... If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, 
sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Look at this again in Matthew 13, 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. Now, didn't we just hear about this? Let me, believe, let, me, let me tell you what I believe the Lord is saying to us in this scripture. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Can you imagine a man coming home one day after finding treasure hidden in a field? And he's made this decision. He's without talking to anybody, without talking to her, he comes home and he says, honey, we're selling everything. It's all got to go. I don't have time to tell you about it. We're selling everything. We're selling it right now. Get together everything you can. I have, I, we're, we're buying something. Just get everything together. We're, we're selling clothes. We're selling cars. We're selling furniture. We're selling kids. Your mom, everything's got to go. We are selling everything. And she's like, wait a second, wait a second. What, what are you talking about? What are you doing? Why are you selling all our stuff? And he says, I'm buying a field. Now, if she is unaware of the treasure hidden in the field, she's thinking, my family was right. This man is crazy. I should have never done this. I mean, what, what possession can you possibly think of that could be worth everything you have? Now, notice worth here, it, it really doesn't have anything to do with dollar amount. What one possession could you go and buy with the sale of everything you've got that could then in turn replace everything you've got? Can you think of anything? I mean, think of that, that beautiful two-door Italian tan leather seat sport car that just with a price tag as high as the sky that you've been wanting for so long. Think about that. And maybe everything you own dollar amount wise is, is equal to that dollar. And if you're able to convince her that this is worth it, that this is, wait till you see it. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. We're selling everything. Get together everything we can find. We're getting rid of it because we're buying this. Now, you may have a beautiful car, but can it replace everything you've got? No, it is not equal to the worth. Why? Because now you have no clothes. So you can't get out of your car. <laughs> and you're starving because you won't let anybody eat in there. Can this one possession possibly replace everything you, you own? No. So whatever treasure is hidden in that field better be equal to and then some of the price being paid. Same thing's true about the, the man that he talked about in the next verse, this merchant seeking the, the pearl of great price. You do some study on this and you find that, that the pearl in that day and time was considered one of the most beautiful objects that any man could hold in his hand. The worth was beyond the, the price tag. The worth was in, in the beauty of it. The worth was in the, the beauty and the, the ability to hold that much beauty in one place. This man did the same nut job thing the other guy did. Sold everything he had to buy one pearl. That woman we read about who lost the coin, 
Do a little bit of research on that, and you find that, that women in this region started, started saving from the time they were young, preteen, teenagers, and they were saving and saving and saving. Poor people, but they were saving everything they could. Why? Because one day when she got married, she was going to walk down that aisle, so to speak, in a, in a headdress adorned with ten silver pieces. And she's lost one of them. You ever lost your wedding ring? What'd you do till you find it? Nothing else. That's what we're doing. Everybody out of bed, wake up the neighbors, we are finding this, right? Why? Because of, because of the worth in that one little silver coin? No, she's got nine more of them. What was, what was the worth in it connected to her heart? It represented covenant and marriage to this one. That's what it represented to her. Who would be so ballistically crazy enough to sell everything they've got to buy a field. You and I walk by that field and we see nothing but dirt and grass and rocks. But when that man walks by that field, what's he looking at? Is he looking at dirt, grass, and rocks? What's he looking at? The treasure beneath the surface. You know what 1 Corinthians 6 says? You were bought with a price. Somebody was so absolutely in love with you that he sold everything he had to have you. Why? You stand there and look at the mirror and you see nothing but dirt, grass, and rocks. But somebody sees the treasure that's hidden beneath you. Who was that? God himself put Jesus on the table and said, this is what they're worth to me. The price, listen to this, the price paid determines the value. Okay? The price paid determines the value. I don't care if you just paid a hundred bucks for a can of Coke. That's now what that's worth to you, isn't it? Maybe to nobody else, but to you, it's worth that. Why? Because that's what you paid for it. Guess what you are worth? You are worth the blood of Jesus. Why? Because he said so. For no other reason than he said so. This is what they're worth to me. This, I see the treasure hidden deep beneath you. I see that treasure in there and it's worth the price I paid. I see the beauty, the intrinsic beauty that I put in you and it's worth having it back to me. You may think of yourself as worth no more than some little silver coin, but that is not how God sees you. That is not how God sees the people sitting in your church and in your meetings. He sees you as something so precious and connected to his heart. You represent the price that was paid for you. Jesus is the measure of your worth. Jesus is. He's the measure of your worth. Everything we read in Colossians about who he is, how he is the preeminence, he is above all things, he is before all things, in him all things exist, in him all things cohere and are held together, that's the one that said you're worth it. So stop arguing with him. This has come down from the highest authority. And there is no argument that will stand against this judgment. It has been judged and sealed. You are worth the blood that he spilled. You are worth the stripes on his back. And don't ever come into a worship service again and say, I'm so unworthy. 
What have you just said? I'm so unworthy. I'm so not worth it. Like a slap in his face. And it's not humility. It's ignorance. Accept the price that was paid for you. Now listen, folks, I know you know this. I know you know this. But I also know the people that you minister to. And I am speaking through you today as much as I am speaking to you. And I am charging you. Preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. I've seen it time and time again. People get frustrated. Why? Because they've heard revelation. And they go try and do it. And it doesn't seem to be producing. But when you see that, know that this is what's happened. Somebody has heard revelation and they've separated it from the revealer. You cannot separate revelation from the revealer. You can't do it. It won't work. It won't produce. And Jesus said, where I am lifted up, if I am lifted up, I will draw what? All men. That's just what happens. That's, not, that's nothing supernatural, really. Men are just drawn to whatever's the highest thing up there, aren't they? We're just drawn to it. You see it over and over and over again. But the dangerous thing is here, if you and I, and it's so subtle, but if we ever get into preaching revelation without preaching the revealer, people are left to assume that we're the ones that came up with that. And what do we do? We lift ourselves a little higher and a little higher and a little higher. And guess what? Men will be drawn to you. The only problem with that is the closer you get to something, the better you can see it. The closer you get to something, you start to see the cracks and you start to see the blemishes and you start to see the, the things that just aren't quite perfect about it. And when from way back here, when it looks so perfect and it looks so great, the closer you get, the closer you get, the, eh, it's a little disappointing now. Where you are lifted up, you will draw them into you. And as soon as they get close enough to see it, they will run away from you. <laughs> but if you and I will lift up Jesus... And all the time going, Jesus, Jesus, run to him, look to him. This is the example. This is the illustration. Come running, come running. And when, you, when the Lord opens your eyes wide to revelation, you be the first to say, listen to what Jesus is saying. And if it's a message from the Spirit of God, you will be able to point to Jesus. In Go back and listen. I'm doing this right now. I'm looking over notes, I'm, I'm listening to things, and if there is any place where I have not pointed to Jesus, Lord, help me, I'll never be guilty of it again. He's my assignment. You're looking at a man who knows his assignment. And when you know your assignment, you won't be tempted to be like this one because you see results. You won't be tempted to be like this one because of a crowd. You'll rejoice in knowing that they know theirs and you rejoice in knowing that you know yours. And when persecution comes, you just say, hey, that's just a part of my harvest. Isn't that what Jesus said? No man has left anything for me that he will not receive now in this lifetime a hundredfold with persecution. That's enough to put a smile on your face. This is just a part of my harvest. This is just a part of the increase. And you'll be like the Apostle Paul who rejoiced in his suffering. Knowing that Jesus is having his way in you. 
And that God willed that the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory, would be made known to you. What, is, what, what happens when a mystery is made known? It's no longer a mystery, is it? Not to you, it's not. You can see through it. You can see to it. It's crystal clear to you and you can have what he called in the book of Ephesians a working understanding, a comprehension of what is the length, the depth, the breadth, and the height and to know the love of who? Christ Jesus. I'll leave you with this scripture. I studied this over the last few days. I'm seeing more in it than I ever have before in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul writing to that church, he said, when I came to you, my speech was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of what? The spirit and power. What did he say two verses before that? He said, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You look at what he was talking about. There's a, that's a really interesting passage of scripture because he says, I came to you in fear and trembling. Not words you often hear from that man. But look at what he was dealing with. He was writing to people who, at that point in time, religions were being mixed. And, and Christianity was, was being embraced to a degree, but it was being embraced by people who were saying, well, that's good, but you need to add this to it. You need, to keep, you need to add the law to it. You need to add the law of Moses. And he had that on one side. He had the Greeks on another side talking about mythology and, and everything that they were known for. And he's got all the, the Gnostics and that Gnosticism, that way of thinking that, that this, we are an elitist group where, where we have our uh, higher knowledge than anybody else. And there's only a few that can have this. And here's Paul in the middle of that. And if there's anybody that knows anything about any of those things, it's him. Here's a man with more education than you can even imagine. And he, he knows how to speak to this group about what it is they believe and to this group about what it is they believe. And he's dealing with the same temptation I told you I was dealing with. Coming in and saying, well, what am I supposed to say? I could talk about that. I could talk about this. I'm not really sure. And he says, I determined. The Amplified says, I resolved. Yes. The Weiss translation says, after weighing the issues, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ. Put yourself in a position, I don't know, let's say you get called to speak in front of a group of uh, ministers, per se. <laughs> and let's say in that crowd there's, there's people that you've grown up listening to your whole life and everything you know is because you heard it from them. Let's just say, for example, I don't know, let's just say... Let's see what happens to you in your study time. Oh, I've got to say something nobody's ever heard. God. Revelation, revelation, revelation. Oh, no, I can't say that. They already know that. Can't say this. They already know that. No, listen. I determined today to come in here and not know anything among you except Jesus Christ. Amen. What is your assignment? Jesus. Him we preach. Amen. Father, we thank you for this. Lord, with open hearts, open eyes, minds, and ears, we receive your word today. And I thank you, Lord, for the instruction of the Holy Ghost. We receive our assignment to preach you and to always point people back to Jesus. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.